Welcome to the RPG Design Panelcast. We bring you the very best recorded panels, workshops, and seminars concerning role-playing game design and publishing. This has been made possible by the generous contributions of the panel speakers and double exposure with their leading game design convention, Metatopia. Episode 80, Game Distribution and Retail, How It Works. Recorded at Metatopia 2015. Presented by Brian Dalrymple and Darren Watts. Okay, so uh, this panel is going to be about uh, game distribution and retail. Uh, I am Brian Dalrymple. I'm the owner and operator of the Adventure Game Store in Dragon's Lair, which is a retail store in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Uh, I also worked for a number of years for uh, a company that's now called GTS Distribution. Uh, they are, when I worked for them, they were called Georgia Music. Uh, but they were a games retailer and uh, continue to be a games retailer. They're, uh, by warehouse count, the largest distributor of games in North America. Uh, and uh, I am the secretary of the Game Manufacturers Association, which is the trade association for the games industry. Uh, my co-panelists, should they come, would be Jason Walters from Indie Press Revolution uh, and Darren from Double Exposure uh, and Envoy. Uh, but I have some questions for you guys. So some of the material we're going to be covering here today is going to duplicate some of the material that I gave in my retailer panel yesterday. Can I get a show of hands from people who were at the retail panel yesterday? So I, just a few. Okay, that's good. Uh, so I apologize to you guys. When we get to the retail section, there's Darren. We're going to... Whoever scheduled this kind of an idiot. <laughs> we're, going to, we're going to cover uh, a few things that we covered yesterday, but I think we're going to be talking about distribution first, so... Uh, and uh, let's see. So, uh, and uh, for those of you that stayed over from the talk we just had, we're going to kind of get in a little bit more detail about some of the things that Fred talked about, about uh, dealing with distribution, what distribution is. So, uh, I guess. Uh, Feel free. I'm, what, I'm jumping in to help you. You want to do the introductions? I'm uh, Darren Watts. I uh, well, one. I, one of the founders of this con, so I'm running around like a crazy person, but um, I also used to own Hero Games and Indie Press Revolution, um, and uh, I have gotten out of the owning things business and am now freelancing most of the time, so. Okay, I guess, I guess the other question I wanted to ask was, uh, how many of you here are interested in publishing primarily role-playing games? How many... Board or card games. Wow. Okay. All right. All right. I know what we're talking about. Okay. Excellent. Okay. So, the good news is you're going to like what I have to say a lot more than if you were primarily role playing games because we're going to be talking about distribution uh, and role playing games as they are right now, although they are on the upswing, uh, comprise somewhere between five and nine percent of the overall games market uh, and. The board and card tabletop category uh, continues to have enormous explosive growth, yes. uh, 
and therefore appeal to distributors and stores who are very eager to get their hands on just about anything. Right. Which is, has, has not been the case with RPGs for quite a while, although it's starting to turn in that direction. Distribution, as it has evolved over the last 20 years, has evolved away from being helpful for RPGs and much more in the direction of being helpful for board and card, I think. Yeah, those distribution is, is by nature reactive, right? right? So they're going to follow what they where they think the money is. Absolutely. Uh, and uh, uh, they uh, uh, during the talk uh, that we had on retail yesterday, the 80-20 rule came up, uh, which is to say that uh, 80% of your business is going to come from 20% of what you're carrying. Uh, and that's uh, long been the case with distribution, especially when it came to collectible card games, which kind of dominated for a very, very, very long time. And, but right now we're seeing really, really great uh, it's, it's a fantastic golden age for board game and card Absolutely, games right yes. now. So, yes. uh, that means on, that on a lot of levels because the barriers to entry have never been lower. Yep. You know, there's a on, on several in several axes, things are you know tremendous for board and card right now. And distributors right. are, are hungry to find uh, product yes. and uh, are, are won't be as uh, they they won't not level the same amount of scrutiny on a board game or card game product that they would on a role-playing product or line, they'll be willing to take a chance on a smaller company that only maybe has a couple of products that think the products are cool, right. which might not be the case with a role-playing product, at least at this point. Right. All right, so we'll talk about uh, the three-tier system and what it is. When we talk about the three-tier system, we're, we're, there's really actually four tiers. Uh, the unmentioned one is the last one, but the, when we're talking at the top, we have the publisher... And then distribution, and then retail, and then the consumer at the bottom. Right. So this is how games get from the publisher down to the gamer in large degree uh, uh, in this country. But that, that is changing also. There's a lot of different ways to go through that. And we'll get into that as we get deeper sure. discussion I, about I it. I note that you already brought a thing here for us. So yeah, I'll, so, I'll follow you before. So... Uh, the reason why it's worked this way is because it has worked this way in a very, for a very long time. This is a very traditional kind of 20th century model. Uh, and the reasons for it are it's easier for uh, a publisher to send out product to a small number of distributors. Uh, it's easier for a distributor to send out product to a small larger but still relatively small number of stores that it would be for a publisher to send out product to potentially tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of gamers. Right. Uh, right. Obviously because, you know, the, the, the publisher, uh, you know, as a general rule, has a limited number of products uh, going out, and so for them to be able to, like, consolidate and, you know, send their stuff out to a shorter range, the distributors are obviously drawing from a wide range of publishers, for this, so they have you know like the business model uh, of like you know size on both ends of it of what's coming in and what's coming out uh, that that they are in a better position to manage. Um, they have you know recurring accounts. They are selling to the same stores over and over again, which the publisher might not be doing. So, and of course the the, the, the pressure inside this system that uh, makes that work is that is shipping, right? And the cost of shipping, both in terms of, of money and time. Yes. Uh, and shipping costs have been growing exponentially uh, over the last uh, 10 years, despite the fact that I think a lot more stuff is being shipped uh, 
than has been in the past. Well, fuel costs, yes. you know, labor costs for it, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, so, if you've got a product that you would like to put out into the market and reach can a large... Can I oh, sure, just ask one more question of the audience so we know where we're doing this? How many of you are looking to have a game that you want somebody else to publish for you as opposed to wanting to be publishers on your own? Right, so like of the okay, who 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 is looking to sell products to a publisher because we may want to sure. top down on that. Okay, before. so who is looking to sell products to another publisher as opposed to so get going into that business themselves? Three or four. Okay, right. and then the rest of you are start are thinking starting your own business, publishing your own game, and dealing with directly. All right, so we'll probably concentrate, I think, more on people who are them, themselves going to be dealing with distributors as opposed to you know having that additional step between you and distribution. For those of you who. Uh, are doing it the other way will kind of, you know, like make references to it, but I think the majority of what we'll talk about are people who actually want to do this themselves. Uh, we have other seminars about how to sell your products to publishers, you know, that, that can probably cover more of that other side of it for you. So. so the advantages of having product out there into this system, obviously, in addition to being able to reach a wide number of, uh, of consumers and gamers that are going to get a chance to play your game and build yourself a larger audience, uh, are also that you necessarily need to have more product available so that it can reach out into all of these channels. Mm -hmm. uh, and by having more product available means you have to make more product. The more product that you make, the less expensive it is per individual unit of that product right. for you to produce, which also has uh, an impact on your the, uh, necessary uh, final cost, the price, final price uh, on that product. Right. Uh, so, if it costs you a lot less to make something, using the formula, that well, a that, lot, yeah, yeah, a lot less per unit, per obviously. Unit, per like unit. your gross total yes. is going to make you know will be higher. But if it, you know when you're actually figuring your costs as a percentage of sales, you know when you get down to the end of right. the year, how, how many of you brought business cards to the show? And when you priced out your business cards and you looked to see how many you needed to print to get them here to the show, there was a, a cost for like two hundred cards, and a cost for five hundred cards, and a cost for like five thousand cards. I had a choice of the cards that I printed to come out here. Uh, for 20 bucks, I could have gotten 500 cards. Mm -hmm. And for 30 bucks, I could have gotten, I think it was 2,000 cards. Right. So the same thing applies to anything else that you make. When it, it, all they it does, though, obviously, the, the business cards, obviously, you can, carry, you can have 2,000 of them in your room, right? But when you, when you are taking on those extra 2,000 for a game, for something that actually takes up space, you know, you are not only paying, I mean, you're getting that discount on the per unit rate for them, but you are increasing your warehousing cost. You know, where are those 2,000 copies going to go is also a question that gets added in now. Yes. It, so. right. Question? Well, this question, comment, I was uh, suggesting if you guys want to, uh, I don't know if it'll pollute too much for you guys to insert the concept of fulfillment. Yes, yeah, so we're going to be talking yeah. about fulfillment. Well, yeah, yeah. Right now we're talking about you know, the economy of scale. Right. Uh, and... When you're pushing product out into a big system like this, you necessarily need more product, but it also means that, that you can charge less per unit if you're using the formula that Fred went over in the last hour, uh, which was 20%. Uh, uh, the formula, the, the, the number that I had always heard coming up was like somewhere between 10 and 20% of your SRP should be the costs of your uh Product now that that right. changes depending on what type of product that, that you've got, whether it's a book or a deck of cards or a board game that has a whole lot of different components needs to be assembled and that sort of thing. Sure. Uh, but uh, if you 
if you are in that range, in that kind of 20% or under, hopefully kind of close as close as you can get down to that 10% number, then going into distribution for you is really uh, a, a, probably a pretty viable thing right. uh, in terms of being able to recover and, and, and make money right. uh, by going into the system. But do make sure you're counting all of your costs when you're doing that. Yes. You know, don't just think about what it costs to manufacture this. You know, think about what's involved in if you have to pay a warehouse, if you have to pay a, you know, even a fulfillment house or something else. Where is this product physically going there and how is it physically getting into the distribution you know, system in the first place for it. All of those costs need to be factored in before you make that multiple. Yeah, and to, to, right. give, to give you some kind of idea, when I, when I was going over the math earlier, uh, yeah, we figured there were probably about 50 distribution warehouses up and running in North America at, at about this time. Now, not all of those warehouses uh, are stocking all different types of games. A great many of them probably aren't stocking RPGs, but I'll I'd be willing to wager that probably a great, great many of them are stocking a lot of board games and card games right now. Right. Uh, and they're probably stocking them in the, you know, a half dozen to several dozen copies each, which is a lot of stuff that goes out there. And that's just what's sitting at the distributors. Right. And you factor in somewhere in the area of about uh, a thousand stores like mine or similar to mine, uh, and then a further quantity of game stores that are maybe not as specialized as mine, and then you've got mass market. Right. Uh, uh, and there are companies you can partner up with that can get you into mass market if they figure your game's got uh, kind of that kind of appeal and place you into places like Target and Barnes and Noble. Right. That, you know, that, that next to last category includes every comic shop that has a shelf of games right. and that sort of thing for it, as opposed to actually being a dedicated game store. Um, but those still do count, and if you can get your stuff into there... And, and, so, and so you're running now into the thousands of stores that right. potentially could be carrying your product, so that means you necessarily need to have a pretty fair amount of product to get in there. So that can that might alter your idea of how much you wanted to spend to get your product up and running, but uh, that's kind of what you need to go into the chain. Right. Uh, my understanding from talking to a bunch of people that have been publishing board, game and board games and card games is that the numbers in print runs that are coming out now for new product and new product from companies that haven't been producing a whole lot is similar to kind of was with RPGs like 20 years ago. So in the 5,000 range is not you know out of the realm of possibility for a small print run. And right. you can go through that fairly quickly uh, if, if you're in the right category. Where RPGs, that would be kind of like a, a high number. That's now a high number, yeah. yeah. Right. It's, it's a very high number now, yes. Right, so, um, yeah, yeah, and, and that that is a that is a broad range. That five thousand, you know, like that. The, there are places depending on what's going into your game and you know what you're doing with printers, um, where you can get away with a two thousand print run, uh, run, or maybe a ten thousand makes. I mean, like you're talking about a pretty broad stretch that's kind of like centered around that five thousand. So, all right. So, uh, how do you get a distributor to pick you up? So. Uh, there's a great number of ways that distributors find out about uh, game products. They've got uh, buyers and reps that go out to obviously to Gen Con and to Origins, to uh, Essen, uh, and to Toy Fair, mm-hmm. Gamma. Uh, uh, trade Gamma Trade Show uh, in Las Vegas. Uh, it's a really big showcase for new publishers uh, and. They are checking out all of these new games to see what they want to bring in. So if, if you're already going to be at one of these shows, the odds are that probably at some point you're going to have people from distributors coming by to talk to you and check out your product and ask you a whole bunch of questions. Right. 
or and you can push that. You can you know many of those, especially at a place like Gamma, that you know the distributor will have a booth, and you can go by and talk to them and drop off a sell sheet, and we'll talk about what yes. sell sheets should look yeah, like, that sort of thing. Coming up. Um, but you know, it's the, you you can you can push that as well. You don't need to sit and wait for the poll, you know, from them. But hopefully, there is something. You know, you are doing some level of marketing for your game. You're running demos. You're generating some kind of information and interest that the publishers can pick up on, uh, that the distributors can pick up mm-hmm. on, and they're good at that. You know, they'll notice if you're drawing some interest in your game. You know, they'll come snooping around you. Right? That's their that's their job. That's their you know their expertise is. Noticing when something is drawing interest. So there's know. there's about ten or so good sized distributors that are servicing the English language market uh, somewhere in that range. I get eight, and then another layer behind that. Yeah, so, so yeah, okay. I'm thinking right. U.S. Canada plus SDVM. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. English, in, English language. In, English language so, yes. uh, stuff. So. Uh, and if at, at the end of the seminar, if anybody wants to come up with me, I can give you the names of all those uh, distributors and. Uh, you, it, then you can contact them and see if you can get put in touch with a buyer. But what they're going to ask you for is a sell sheet. Uh, and the sell sheet can be a physical thing, but typically you can just email them uh, a PDF or the information. And what, what the sell sheet is, it's, it's the basic information on your product, including images, pictures, hopefully, of the product if you have them, if it's already made, or what you think it's going to look like. Uh, it should be pretty attractive, you know, having your logos in there, your company name, contact information, mm-hmm. and then your basic details about the product that any retailer or gamer that walks into a shop is going to want to know about it. How many players does it handle? How long does it take to play? How complex is it? What's the target market? Right. Uh, how long does it take to play? All, all, the, all of those things. Uh, and ideally, all of that should be something that you have already boiled down to 200 words, yep. you know, more or less for this. I mean, yeah. it's... Elevator pitches and that sort of thing is also a whole other separate side of this that we do, uh, you know, seminars and panels for. But you, by this point, by the time you are making your sell sheet, you should have the 200-word description of everything vital about your game down, you know, that you should be able to just rattle it off on the top of your head, and it should look nice on your sell sheet for it. So, And then, of course, the price. Right, of course. Uh, yeah. And in this industry, by and large, in most cases, the publisher sets the price Mm-hmm. Of the product. Now, that's not that doesn't necessarily mean that the store can't sell it for whatever they want to. I mean, obviously, you can go on online and see all a whole range of prices on any product. Even if you went to Amazon, just just Amazon alone, and look at a fairly popular product, you'll see prices ranging for like forty percent below what the SRP is to like five or six hundred dollars for the exact same product. So the retailers aren't required to charge a particular price, but you right. set the price just like in the book market. Uh, or in a, in a, a great many other markets, you determine what the price is. Yeah, it's that's, not, it's not that's like the S. Shares. That's the MS and MSRP. Yes. Manufacturer suggested. suggested retail price. So yeah. Uh, and uh, in the three tier system, all of the discount structures are based off of that suggested retail price. So if you tell the distributor that you know, your game is going to cost fifty dollars. Uh, that's math easy. Right. So that's nice. Yeah, good choice. Then the <laughs> distributor knows how much they're going to be selling that $50 game to their retailers for. Mm-hmm. Now, every distributor is going to have a different structure for how they're going to wind up selling to stores. I deal weekly with four different distributors, and each one of them has a different system that they use. Uh, one of them... Uh, 
gives me a better discount if I place a lot of orders with them and, right. I, and I maintain a certain level of business with them, my discount incrementally goes up. I've got others that always have me at, at the tip-top highest level because they really want my business, but they don't necessarily carry all the things that I want. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've got others that are very specialized in very particular areas, and the discount is usually maybe a little bit worse. Uh, and then I've got a couple of others that are kind of like in between that pretty much offer the same thing as everybody else. And you might ask, well, why would you use them? Why don't you just use the two or three? Because not everybody has everything in stock at the same time. We're going to get into reorder cycles and out of stocks. Uh, so very often when a customer comes, in, comes into my shop and says, you know what, I, I want this game. And I talk to one supplier and he's out and another supplier and they're out and another supplier and they're out. But this guy over here who's a seven-day ship with the price is not as good, he's got four or five of them, they're going to get an order they're for They're going to get the... Right, exactly. Yeah. And so, there, are, there are distributors. So there is a distributor, for example, who kind of carries a full range but specializes in card games, yes. right? And so you know if there's an obscure card game you know, that you're trying to find for a customer as a retailer or something like that, that might be where you look first because you know that they have kind of gotten in on that. Yeah, so there's, there's special distribution not just for card games, we just talked about P- IPR. Uh, PhD particularly is uh, kind of like, in, in theory, and once again, their quality of doing that is variable, yeah. but they do in fact, you know, kind of like make a commitment to card game, uh, you know, uh, as, as their niche for it greater than maybe the, the wider range ones do. Yeah, so, so. P- PhD is, uh, is uh, 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 a distributor I use every week. Their, mm-hmm. their headquarters warehouse is a day ship for me. It's the closest distributor to me, and I, I visit their warehouse, their warehouse a few times a year. I actually used to work for the guy that owns it, because right. we both used to work for Georgia Music. Uh, and, uh, yeah, depending on, they have four warehouses, right. and they do not have all of their full line at all four, at of all four warehouses. The headquarters warehouse in Orlando is, is very robustly stocked kind of across the line in a lot of different things, but they don't do great with, say, miniatures. Right. Uh, and they don't really do a whole lot with RPGs. There's mm-hmm. actually not a whole lot of distributors that do a whole lot with RPGs. Uh, then you have specialty distributors like... IPR, right? Uh, who focus more on RPGs and story RPGs that have a hard time making their way into the larger distributors simply because the market is so much smaller for those, right? And and IPR is, I mean, it serves many of the functions of a distributor. It was actually created to kind of solve some of RPGs, especially small company RPGs, problems with distribution. Um, but technically, it's a sales co-op. You know, it's a, it's a consignment house, basically. You, you know, like, send a bunch of product to them. You only get paid when they uh, make the sale, when they turn around and make a sale for you. So your stuff may be sitting in their warehouse for quite some time, not generating any cash, if there is nothing else pulling sales through. So they work on a different model than the traditional mainstream distributors who do, in fact, in theory, pay you when you send them product. So, right. so the last thing that's going to be on your, your sell sheet is your terms. Mm-hmm. Your, your, your terms. terms. The terms you're selling them to. So it's a $50 game. Uh, and what the distributor is going to want to get from you is a 60% discount off of that $50. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's what they're going to want. It's not always what they get. It's not what they have to get. And they right. will often settle for 
uh, different variations on that. Mm-hmm. Uh, quite often, you can break up your discount with the distributor into different tiers in the same way that the distributors break them up with me. Oh, Brian, you do a lot of business with me, you get a better thing. Or, or you pay me faster, you get a better thing. It's COD, or I wait 30 days, or I wait 60 days. You can do all of these things with your distributor when you're negotiating your terms. You can say, well, I'll, you want that 60% off? I'll give you that 60% off if you pay me up front. Right. If you prepay, you get the 60% off. Right. If, if you want... Net 30, it's 58, right. 57, or uh, whatever. And, it, it, and, the, and quite often, you'll see kind of this kind of arcane... Uh, percentage discount structure expressed as, well, it's not 57, it's 50 plus 10 plus, plus right, 4 yeah. plus 2. Right, yeah. Uh, or 50 and 10 and, and, and 4 and 2, which if you take a percentage of a percentage of a percentage of a percentage, it winds up working out to being somewhere around 55 to 60% off, somewhere right. in that range. Yeah. That's what they're going to be looking for. So if your production cost on your game as a, a compared to your suggested retail price, allow it so that selling to a distributor at somewhere between 57 and 60% off allows you to still make decent money right. than distribution. So out is. of your $50 game, you should generally be planning around getting 20 bucks, you know, uh, from a distributor. And that should, you know, your, your system, of course, should, you know, reflect that. If you can't make money... On twenty bucks for this, your game is mispriced or it's misbuilt. Right. So, yeah. So, so, so yeah. Us, using Fred's formula, your fifty dollars game shouldn't cost you more than ten to make. Right. Using my revision on it, it should probably cost you somewhere closer to between five and ten. Right. So that when you're selling it for twenty bucks, then you're you still making you're making ten to fifteen dollars right. somewhere yeah. in that range. Uh, and then the distributor will turn around and they will sell it to me. Mm-hmm. For somewhere between forty-five and fifty percent off of the uh, retail price, depending. Now, there's all kinds of different variations on this. You can be like, "Well, you know, my game cost me a lot more to make, but I don't want to charge more than fifty dollars for it. It's still a fifty-dollar game." Uh, I'm only. I don't think yeah. the market can handle this game at you know will not pay more than fifty dollars right. for it. So maybe I am agreeing as part of this because I think I'm going to sell so many of them. I'm taking a smaller profit on each one. Because I'm hitting the market at the right spot. Or you, That's or you can ask... adjustment you have to constantly yeah. be making. You can also ask the distributor to take a smaller margin. Yep. And, and they love they, to hear that. Some, nothing, nothing makes them happier <laughs> than asking them to do that. So. But, but if they're desperate and they really, really like they the really product... They really want your game, they'll so, do it. Sometimes right. they'll do that. So there are some product lines, on especially very hot stuff, that my discount to me, which you know, I'm close to 50% on everything else, I might get 35% off on a bunch of stuff in this line. Or in some cases, even worse. We've got a question. Can, can the price change? Typically, no. Yeah. And the reason for that is uh, your product is enters into all of these different separate systems. Each one of the distributors has got a whole computerized database that covers every product that they carry, and you have a unique product code that's associated right. with your game that is probably a universal code, although we're kind of getting away from that a little bit. Some distributors are using their own codes, but there's a universal code that says your game costs this much. If you want to change so that, you've you got to get the. You're probably going to have to re-enter it as a new thing. Make it make a, a new edition. Yeah, make or a new it version, is. a revision, right. or something like that, right. because it also comes back to us on the retail end, right? Where I've got a product on the shelf, and 
it's written at X price, and then I've got to find out from all these different companies. All right, well, it's like it's like running a gas station, right? Except I, you sell five hundred different types of gas. If you, if you I've got to go off and change the price you know, on stuff every day. You put out your first game, and you realize, holy crap, this was the wrong price. I'm not making the right amount of money. I'm losing money, God forbid, or whatever on this operation board. And you need to change that price. That's you know that's the thing that generates. This is a new product. This is a revision. This is a new edition. This is a whatever. And it's probably a good time to also like make whatever rules improvements that you were yeah. going to make. Now that, that's not to say that, you know? that what you're talking about does happen. It does. Uh, yeah. There, there are sometimes where things come out where uh, there were a whole bunch of extra costs involved, and then right. we, I get a or call and say, "Listen, fan of an older product." I, I mean, know, I know that it says on this book that it's twenty five dollars, but Brian, you got to understand it's actually $30 and that's what we're charging you for it and then I've got to go and change the prices on my on or whatever, right? and then I've got to like have the argument with the customer that comes in and says I peeled behind the sticker and it says it's $5 less and you're, why, are you, why are you doing why this to me? Why are you messing me? with me? Right. Yeah, so. But frequently the change for that will be because of the lifespan of a product, right? If this yes. was a fairly successful game six or eight years ago, well, you've got six or, year, six or eight years of inflation that you have to account for in the new one as well. Yeah. It's, right? It's, so, it's, I mean, as an older product goes along, at some point you've got to put out a new edition, if only to keep up yep. with what it should cost now to do it. And, 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 so. and in that space of time, you know, hopefully you've gone through your product on hand. Right, exactly. you had to do some reprints, that's a good opportunity to Ideally, do Ideally, your costs per unit have gone down because you put a lot of this effort into it and to make the new one is just going back to the printer with this small number of changes. So your set of costs for that second set of print runs yeah. for this should be lower. So maybe you can ameliorate some of that, you know, whatever you have lost to inflation over the six or eight years that the product came out. Yes. That's once again, that's a calculation you've got to make on a per product basis and what the, you know, how it's doing in the market. You know, if I'm going to change a price point of something, if people get used to it at a certain price point. They have a great deal of resistance to uh, to changing it, you know, and you'll hear about it online, and you'll hear about it at the, you know, Brian will hear about it at the store, of you know, this all used to be a twenty five dollar thing, now it's thirty five dollars. I'm losing my mind over that, you know. So, all right, yes. Just while you're still on discount structures, there, I'm familiar with the sixty percent discount cash on delivery style thing, or fifty eight. Or 57% discount for net 30. What are some other familiar or... Okay, there's there's 10 days, there's 30 days, but there's I mean, 60 days. That, but are there any other swizzles? Uh, if you've got a, a set of things, there's usually not a lot of swizzles that are single product ones, but you might have a deal where it's like, if you are buying five different games from me in one purchase order, you know, there might be an additional break in some direction yeah. that you might be able to get... Or, or offer as part of your right, right. So, so, so the big answer is yes there are yeah. significant ones when the distributor gets things that they want out of it right. like exclusivity yeah I'm so, the only yeah, distributor that, that carries exactly. your game so I will give you a uh, we, we will work out a better deal and I'll give you a better price because I'm the only distributor that carries your game right and you can't sell it then to the you're not allowed to sell it to anybody else to I'm the guy what's the common number for exclusivity 5% could be more than that 10 yeah, exactly. Well, once again, it depends, on the, it depends on the product. Okay, so there are other things that go along with exclusivity because once they ask for ex exclusivity, what they will then ask to do is floor your product. Right, yeah. Which means you don't need to warehouse your product at all. You send just send it. your entire print run down to the distributor and they will have, a, they will have a, a section in their warehouse that's devoted to you, that's rented by you for the purpose of storing all of your product. And that takes that cost off of your end, so that's, you know, maybe, you know, where that's reflected in your relationship with them, once again, is going to, you know, vary depending on what their terms and precisely what they're offering for Florida. Yes. So. But they will not 
buy your entire print run. Right. They will simply rent you the space, which they will charge you for, mm -hmm. in their warehouse to keep all of it there so that they've got space set aside for it. And then as they sell it, this is kind of more like a consignment thing, mm -hmm. as they sell it, then they will collect the money and they will take off the charge for the renting of the space and the charge for the... In some cases, you might have a marketing agreement with a distributor. They're the exclusive people, so they're the people that are also handling... Uh, going to Gen Con and helping you out, or going to Game of Trade Show and displaying it at their booth, or right. running ads for it in the Game Trade Monthly or whatever magazine they're putting out. That's when, so, when you get to a point where you're flooring, and this will be, I mean, this is if you guys are here as, you know, like we are, you know, new publishers, we're looking at first games, that will be a major graduation for you the day that happens. Although, more, for, for Fred, for example, it happened for the first time with Dresden Files. Yeah. Now, Fred had been in business for quite some time leading up to that, doing all the other evil hat stuff. But when Alliance floored Dresden Files for him, when they took that on, suddenly Fred was playing in a different league. And more and more and more frequently, though, in the recent days, is when companies are coming out with products that distributors are kind of hot for, mm -hmm. they will want you to get that get that exclusivity in with them right away. They'll they might offer, make that offer, yeah. and, and and they might even say, "Listen, you go exclusive with me, or we're not carrying you at all." Right. Can happen. And is this annual contract? Uh, it can be structured in a number of ways. Yes. Usually it's, it's renewing yes. for a set period of time, whatever it is. So yeah. it's, and, and it's cancelable, of course, at any point. Right. On their, as soon as they decide that they're not selling enough of your stuff, they'll just say, discontinue, you're out of the agreement. Right. And here's your product coming back. Yep. And who's paying for that? Well, that better be in your terms of yes. your contract. And when you, send the product to, <laughs> when you send your product to a distributor, whether it's just to give them their initial orders or whether you're flooring it with them, you are paying the shipping costs to mm -hmm. that. The distributor is operating on the narrowest of margins mm -hmm. in the entire industry. Uh, you're, you're making 40% when you're selling to them. I'm making 50% when I'm selling it off of the shelf. They're making They're 10%. They're living on that 10 if fully 10. But don't feel sorry 10. for them on that 10%. The distributors yeah. are the biggest, most healthiest, most prosperous segment of this industry. Yes. Question. All right. So uh, I had floored uh, with ACD and Alliance on mm -hmm. my entire line. And one of the um, issues that you walk you want to walk into when you're not in an exclusivity sort of thing and you're not in their marketing agreement, one of the things you may want to uh, look out for is when a distributor buys your product, they have an immediate return motive, a profit mm -hmm. motive to get it out of their warehouse. Right. So if they've given you, you know, they buy a hundred, uh, they buy a hundred units, they've given you, you know, two thousand dollars, just picking numbers. They have an immediate goal to get that $2,000 back by moving it. And to get that $2,000 back, they have to sell, they bought 100 of them, they got to sell like 90. Well, when you floor it and it's there, a lot of times they lose, if you're one of the smaller fish, uh, they might lose that motivation to clear their warehouse of your stuff. Shocked. You are Shocked not the number one thing they're mentioning anymore. You're renting space. You can't rent space if you don't have stuff in it. Right. Yeah. And you're right, exactly. You're not. You're running space. They're getting a longer lease. They have no. The the motivation for the sale of your product has to come up from the consumer and the store. Yeah, they don't have money invested in it. Yeah, right. they have Be no. It's it's sitting there, and they they make money if they sell it. Right. So there might they might be more motivated to sell something that they've paid for. Uh, so uh, that's that's uh, flooring and exclusivity. We'll talk about. Uh, Let's talk about briefly about fulfillment. Okay. Okay. So, uh, 
if you're planning on handling all of your own sales going out to distribution and you're handling, you're figuring that you're going to be warehousing all your product, great. If you've got the space to do that, that's fine. But as you grow or if you find out that, you know, the, your roommate or significant other is complaining about the gigantic pile of boxes that's in the den. <laughs> uh, and, and, and the first day I met Krista... Um, Brennan's wife when we took over IPR I'd never met her before and we were at a party somewhere and I got introduced to her and she came up just out of nowhere and just threw her arms around me and she's like oh my god you're the man who gave me three rooms in my house back <laughs> so I was like okay well that's you know you're welcome ma'am whoever you are <laughs> so, so if, if you don't want to, to, to floor with a distributor especially if you know in exchange for that they're asking for exclusivity because the other thing of course is if, just, if the distributors got all of your stuff and they don't have the exclusivity, they're also now the de facto supplier to the other distributors. Right. They're competitors, yeah. uh, and they're not as enthusiastic about giving stuff out to them in, in every case as well. Uh, but if you don't want to warehouse your own stuff, if you want to pay for a warehouse or have it sitting in your house somewhere, uh, another thing that you can do, it's, if you don't want to handle all the sales calls and the, the shipping for all of that stuff, you can contract with a, a fulfillment house. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's a few of them, uh, and what they do is uh, c- kind of a microcosm of what the dis- distributor does right. for stores. Uh, they do for distributors. They are a place. So if, if you're if you uh, if you're a small company and you've got one or, or two items, uh, the distributor buyers have got a limited amount of time that they go through and they when they reorder product mm-hmm. they get back in uh, and they don't like to make a whole bunch of phone calls right to catch everybody so they space out these calls I'm going to get this person this day this person this day and it comes down a list and it usually runs in a weeks long cycle of who gets calls for reorders now they can be out of stock on this stuff this whole time but they're just using that to generate data for them as to how much demand there is for right, stuff. Yeah. Oh, I, I, we I, I, were out of this product for two weeks and 50 people wanted it. So we should probably order a bunch more. That's how we'll get our information on that. Right. Uh, and the longer it takes for them to do those recycles, people are going to be calling up you and saying, is your game out of print? Why is my, yeah, why uh, is that's your game that's the other store? thing is, is that the, some yeah. distributor reps will be like, oh, we don't have it in the shelf. We haven't had it here for weeks. Maybe it's out of print. Maybe the publisher is out of the product. Mm-hmm. So uh, one of the ways that you can kind of get more frequently in those uh, recycles is if you're part of a collective of people with a f- fulfillment company, they're handling your company and 20 other companies, and they can say, oh, all right, considerably well... Considerably more than that in the case it, of like Impressions or somebody. Yeah, it'd be hundreds PSI. Of PSI, uh, right, yeah. you know, So, uh, so it could be a great many different publishers. They can say, oh, all right, well... I need a few copies of your game and a few copies of your game and a few copies of your game and it all gets shipped at once. Right. And that's a big savings for everybody. It's one phone call, they get everything in, the shipping costs are lower. Uh, So that is another thing. It's the Publishers Group West model, right? It's, I mean, like so much of like what we do in the game industry was learned, you know, has been taken over from traditional publishing. Yes. Right? And the traditional publishing model, one of the biggest sales, you know, Conglomerates, basically, in, in traditional publishing is Publishers Group West, which is made up of, what, 200 small to mid-sized publishers, right? And one company handles all of their sales to Ingram and to Baker and & Taylor and to all of those other places. And by squishing 200 mid-sized companies together, they get to act like one big one, right? They get to be right there next to Random House. So there is a tremendous advantage for all of those small companies that 
is the only way they may ever get noticed, right, is by being part of that, by being on the PGW list, which means, of course, they had to put a great deal of effort into getting PGW to pick them up. That became the gatekeeper, right, instead of the distributors at Ingram and Baker Taylor deciding whether it was worth it. You know, they let PGW make that decision for them. So the fact that you have signed with PSI or that you have signed with Impressions you know, that's that's a step through a gate that you would have had a very hard time going around. Now, what you're paying, you know, PSI or, or, or Aldo or whoever, a percentage of your sales for that. And once again, you have to decide for yourself, is it worth it? Because that's coming out of your side, yeah. you know. But without him, there are sales that you might never make, yeah. you know. Uh, that you be, might not be able to get into distribution if you've only got one or two copies. Well, exactly, yeah. That might one be, or two, that might be one a, or two titles. A, a determiner. They might not feel it's what's worth, you know, dealing with you if you've only got the one kind of marginal product right. in their eyes. Yeah, so, it's 15 bucks. Yeah, it's, it's 15 bucks instead of 20 kind of, right. on that $50 product. Right. Was there a question up front? Okay. All right, so how does a distributor determine how much of your product they're going to bring in if they decided that they're going to bring in your line? Voodoo. Kind of. Yeah. <laughs> so Goats what they will do is they will take the information that you've given them on that cell sheet. Mm-hmm. They might ask you for some additional images. Right. Uh, and then they're going to uh, send that information out to all of the retail stores as part of their pre-ordering system, which is going to go out both by email and in many cases also by print magazine. Mm-hmm. Uh, most of the dist- most of the really big distributors have got a print magazine that is, that is full of uh, images of products that are going to be coming out over the next three or four months, right. uh, which we're encouraged to show to our customers and ask them, you know, how many of this, how many of this, what do you think you can do? And then we give that information back to the distributor. Ideally, we, as many of us as possible, give that information back to the distributor. Never, not everybody does it, but right. in most time of us for do. them to make a, you know, for an order, right? Yeah. yeah, and we tell them, okay, we want this many of this and this many of that. And the distributor tallies up all those numbers and is like, okay, so with this new product that's coming out two months from now or a month from now, we've got this many that's pre-ordered that's locked into our system. In many cases, I'm obligated because I've, I've said I'm going to take that many. I now have to take them. Uh, and uh, then they add to that total because right. they know, obviously, that not every single store might have seen the pre-solicitation. Or in a lot of cases, one of the things that distributors are really kind of grumbly about is the, the lack of lead time for that. Right. Right. So they're like, you didn't tell me this was coming out next week or that you wanted to take us right away. We can't, we don't know how many we need to order because we couldn't <laughs> pre-solicit it. So if they still are going to take it, they'll probably take a much, much smaller number because they don't have anyone committed to buying it. Right. So ideally, when you're trying to, to get set up with a distributor, you want to make sure that the release of the product is several months out from the time that you've got the distributor on board and told them that you're going to make it. And that, could, that might give you time to actually get the product made if it's not made yet. Or if it is, right. you may have to sit on it. Right. Uh, and, you know, just hang tight and wait for that push to come through. The distributor is going to add to that number to, count, to account for all the stores that didn't get into the pre-order system in the first place. Right. And then you're going you're to get that initial order. And that will be the biggest order that you will ever receive on that product ever. Mm-hmm. Probably. 99% yeah, of the time. In, in most right. cases, that's how it works. Unless it's like a sleeper. Right. Unless it like comes in and they're like, oh, okay, well, nobody really talked about what like Dice Masters was. It was a big one from last mm-hmm. from, from last year. Oh, stores didn't say they wanted it. We brought in a few. Everybody wanted it. Right. And it disappeared in like a day. And they're like, oh, my God, we need to get more. Well, oh, my God, it's made in China. 
Yeah. And it's and it's dice, and we need like twenty times as much as we thought we were going to do. And Whiz Kids wound up dominating dice manufacturing worldwide for like two months. Yeah. Nobody else could get dice made for any product because every available mm-hmm. factory in, in, the, in the on planet Earth that was capable of making dice was making dice. Made. And Whiz Kids was able to do that. Yeah, Wizkids because they yeah, because because they could, and they had the orders Absolutely. behind it. Right. But in most cases, your initial order is going to be the biggest order that you're going to get uh, on a product. Right. For, for the product that I produced with my company, we did a, we did a character folio for Pathfinder a number of years ago. Our initial order from distributors was in the hundreds, and I was like, "Woohoo! This is going to be great. We're going to be selling hundreds of, of these." And when I get when I get my next hundred dollar on the reorder, or, yeah. or, or hundred unit on the reorder, you yeah. know, we'll go through this. I need to set up a, a reprint right away. We'll get through five thousand in no time. Right. Well, what happens is they'll get their initial order in uh, because most. And this is the case in the store, too. When I get new product into the store, it goes onto my new rack. People are rushing in to get it. You go to Gen Con on Thursday, everybody's scrambling out to go to get the new stuff. The new stuff is the stuff that people want. Yep. That's what's going to sell. Next week, there will be more new stuff, and your stuff won't be in that group. It might come off of that new rack to make, play, make way for another new thing. Right. But in that initial rush on the new order, that's when you'll get the biggest amount of sales in the first week. Definitely in the first 90 days. Yes, absolutely. Is, is when you're going to see most of the money recovered from what you have spent into that product coming back to you through distro is going to be in that first 90 days. Right. Well, it's the first, yeah, probably first 60 days of the sales plus whatever you're, you know. Yeah, I mean, plus the amount of time it takes for you to get your money back. Your money back. Yeah. If you're on that 90 with them, that's another 30 days you'll have to wait before getting that money. But but that's when it's going to come. And then after that, you're going to go into that, recycle, that, that reorder uh, cycle. Mm-hmm. Yes. How do I um, project the demand of that first 90-day sales based on the Kickstarter? Okay, so... Once again, that's magical thinking as far as that goes. It's, you, you can't ever fully predict it, but hopefully by this point you have done some market research and some in, you know, seen what the interest is. You've talked to retailers, you've talked to smart people like Brian, and then you know, you, the success of if, if your product has been Kickstartered, you know how much the, you're going to have to, you know, see from what retail and distribution interest is going to be post your Kickstarter, because there will always be a depressing, deadening effect from doing, from having done the Kickstarter. The concern being from the distributors and the retailers that everybody who cared already got in, and so we're not going to sell as many of them in the store post that, because you're all of your alpha fans. We're in on the Kickstarter and already have it, yeah, and, right? it's, so and, and it's going to affect that initial rush. It's in going that to affect, first that, 60 affect days, that initial rush. The if, most, if you're, if you're of, 200 or 500 or whatever most passionate fans got it that way, then the store is not necessarily going to see that kind of like initial impact for it. Pushing so the back. that's you know that that's a that's a panel and a half itself yes. just talking about that. So there so, isn't there isn't a good number. So what happens then when you you do, you do your homework and your Kickstarter is just enough to make production? And you don't have the units to copy. You didn't print enough to, just, you know, at those prices. Well, so, first so, of all, you you know dine out on all the drinks everybody is buying you for that happening. Um, yeah, these, 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 that's one of those good problems. Yeah, right. There are there are much worse problems to have. And yeah. and honestly, at that point, you apologize to everybody and say we didn't know how big the demand is, and you put another damned you know order in to get them printed as quickly as you can. as quickly as you can. Yes, you know, take advantage of that because it ev- won't last. Every month that you ticks know? by when you don't have something is more time for gamers to, to take interest yeah. in something else. You should you should hope to have that problem. Yeah. 
right? I mean, that's a that's a, we did honestly. I, I, that's happened to me once with Fifth Edition Hero. We we underprinted. That was well before Kickstarter, and we didn't have any of that for it. But we were swamped by the initial demand for it, and we had to spend the first six months of our company just reprinting that first product over and over again because we couldn't keep it in stock. I guess my question is then: Is there really any benefit to printing more than if you're just going to wait and then have to? Print? Well, you should. You yes. Should, I mean, sure. yes. The, okay. uh, you should. First of all, it depends on what you've got. I mean, like, how much money are you putting into this? What are you willing to risk? That's right. the first question. Yeah. I mean, so if 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 you're if the money you make from the Kickstarter is just enough to supply your yeah. backers, you got to look to see how you've, you've structured your pricing. Right. For one thing, to, to see, all right, well, is this something that's viable enough for me to put out into the, th- the three-tier system? Right, exactly, yeah. Uh, or, at those discounts. You know, yeah, at, right. at, at, at 40% of what I'm calling suggested retail price, am I actually making any money off of, off of this? Right. Uh, if, if it doesn't have, like, the big taking off, then, okay, you've satisfied your backers, and, you know, at some point you run another Kickstarter, and you use the success right, exactly. off, of your, off of your first one to, you know, you yeah, use the you might you go to a POD model to, to at that to point for one. it. I mean, if, if, if all you were able to do is just get over that number for it, then maybe it's like, all right, I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm going to, you know, my, my print numbers are going to be in the tens, not the thousands yeah. for them. I'm going to print them as I need them. And I'm going to sell them direct and keep them out of the distribution model because I can't afford the discounts that I'm giving off that price. I'm just going to sell them all directly. Yeah. Right? Uh, uh, In which case, you get all the money. Right. Well, the, the, so. but, but the advantage of, of, of printing more, assuming that there is going to be that demand there, right. would be your cost per unit is going to drop, going the, to drop the more that you and make. And then you get the benefit of people like Brian you know, selling your game in their stores, of you know, distribution push. You know, you're not going to get big numbers on any product if retail isn't behind it. And, and you potentially reach a much wider audience because yeah, right. you're getting outside of that, that 30-day window. Exactly. Uh, and it shows up in all the stores. Those, and, those you know, POD those. sales will just be from people you meet at cons. Yeah. You know, they will be the 20 that you bring to a convention right. or whatever for it. Yeah. And if that is that makes you happy and that's all you wanted to do and hey, I, I made my product I made my nut from the Kickstarter and now I just sell it to people that I shake hands with when it happens that's alright. That's a perfectly good model to, you know, like, I mean you probably won't make a living off of it, but that's a perfectly good model any model of game sales that you don't lose money on potentially is the right one right? For you <laughs> I, <laughs> Alright, so we've, we've got about 10 minutes left. We can either talk about all, some alternatives to the three-tier system, the, sure. the distributor model, uh, or we could take some more questions. But do you guys we, have more questions, questions you want to throw up? Questions out there? Some, that's number one in the alternatives. In your alternatives, yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. So. Okay, so Amazon, uh, they have a whole structure of the ways that they deal with stuff also. And many of this same... Uh, Methods that the distributors will use, Amazon will have also exclusivity yeah, there is always and flooring and all of these other other things that they've got tied into it. Uh, Amazon, at least in my conversations with publishers that I know, maybe Jeff might be able to come with this. It's kind of like having another really big distributor as far as like sales mm-hmm. going through. It's like if if you look at the biggest of distributors of games uh, that go out to the traditional market, Amazon's numbers are uh, like about that size. Maybe, for RPGs, maybe, they're better. Yeah, yeah. 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 So, and, and that's that is a factor of RPGs not being in not stores. being in so much distribution. Yeah, yeah. Right. Uh, the, because they're not in distribution. Uh, so Amazon is is definitely a way you can go. There are successful models that you can point to: Cards Against Humanity, which is an Amazon exclusive, which some stores have on their shelves, but they bought it from Amazon so that they could have it on their shelves. Yeah, uh, and they're very happy with that. Uh, 
it's my belief as a retailer they could do so much better and sell so much more stuff if they made it available but it would be more work and I don't think that they necessarily I want to do it. you to talk to Sherry about that. Enjoy that. They, 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 uh, they have, have done uh, tremendously well and they're having a lot of fun with it yes. and you know, kudos to them. That's great. Right. I, but there's no I telling will, them they're wrong. I, I will. Well, <laughs> at, at this point, there's yeah. Six months from now, maybe you can tell them they're wrong in the list. Well, the clock is ticking, Darren. <laughs> Max from Cards Against Humanity showed up at the Game of Trade Show 18 months ago, promising it was going to be available in stores. Mm-hmm. And that's 18 months ago. Yep. <laughs> so, uh, but the, but they're doing fine. And, and, tell and, them they're wrong. And, and and we don't know. I mean, they expressed an interest uh, a year and a half ago. I don't know if. They were like, okay, well, this is what we want to do. And then they found out maybe they couldn't quite do it, perhaps because of their way that their uh, agreement is structured, or maybe they changed their mind. I mean, who knows? Yeah. A question on distribution. Uh, let's say you're, you're within, you're picked up by distribution and they're covering, they're carrying your product, but then you see it like on eBay or some of these like wholesale websites mm-hmm. for, if we're using the 50%, uh, you see it on there for like $30 for sale. Okay. On all, And it's, yeah. All right. So, the question would be, what do you do about that, or, yeah, or, or why does that happen? Okay, that ha- okay that happens because anybody that owns something in this country, for the most part, can sell it for whatever they want to sell it for, even if their model is completely flawed, even if they don't aren't going to realize a whole lot of money from it because they just because they want to. Everything that's available in my shop can be found much cheaper online. Everything. Somebody somewhere in this uh, on, on planet Earth is going to be overstocked on it. It's going to be figuring they, if they make a dollar on it and they sell a million of them, they'll be a millionaire. Uh, uh, for, for whatever reason, it's going to be out there. So uh, what can you do about it? As a small company, your resources are kind of limited. The companies that have had success in doing something about it have set up programs by which they've made a contract with their distributor to say that if you sell to somebody that is selling it for below a certain value, we will no longer provide you with that product to sell. To sell, mm-hmm. uh, and generally, it takes being a pretty good-sized company that have that say, kind of once push. Again, you are, with a you are several steps up the ladder away from being able to make that decision. Yes, but there are, to make that there are some smaller publishers that have put in these kinds of programs, but the ones that have actually had real effect in sticking have come from larger companies. Right. As a retailer, I really appreciate that. And sure. I would hope that most of the industry would follow suit. Some publishers don't really care because once it's left their hands, they've made their 40% of MSRP on it and they're okay with it. Uh, I don't feel the same way, right. obviously. I think it has a, a, a depressive effect on, on the perceived value. There was a question in the back. So through your experiences, um, my understanding, between distribution and like, the house, what would be for a small business with a How much work do you want to do? So, it's not being lazy, but like, if you do... Well, if you've got, have you got a day job, I hope, for all of this, yes. so yes. All right, how... So you have, you have another job you used to make your bread and butter, too. Right. Right. Okay. Do you like working nights and weekends? Uh, on top of that, well, it would, I mean, do you have an entire line? Do you have like one product? Be, it would say one product. All right, starting with one product, it's really not all that bad. Yeah. With one product, you know, you you know, you've got to talk to about ten different distributors and keep them on like a regular stock. Most of the distributors will tell you how much of their product they have on hand just with a regular phone call. In some cases, you can just look it up online. How many do they have? How many have they sold? And quite often you'll be have to tell them, it you know you're be. out of stock, 
and you know you've missed this many sales, I have some ready if you want to get it to you. And, and, and not to be all Johnny depressing on you, but it may be the distributors who wind up telling you that you need to go into fulfillment because they're not your, they don't see enough okay. potential sales in your product by itself to be worth dealing with you individually. Yeah, just At which point you say, well, crap, I'm going to take my stuff over to you know, and see yeah, if PSI will pick it up or the actual yeah, yeah. So, so yeah. they're constantly evaluating all of the different lines that they sell to see you know, is, yeah. is there enough so even of, if, even of, if you've decided you're willing to do it, the distributors may not be willing to play with you. Right. So you know, okay. You said there's um, who would you talk to? With, like, say you're trying to get to big box like Toys R Us, Target, Barnes and Nobles, etc. Right, I would talk to PSI. PSI, yeah. PSI yeah. Is, 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 is probably the biggest company that, that that deals with products coming from this particular industry going out to mass market. Right. Uh, Publisher Services International. They're based out of Atlanta. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, they carry some pretty good-sized companies, big companies, games, and they carry Once some again, really small yeah, companies. You know, it, but, the, but they want good stuff. Good on you that, if you succeed with that. If yeah. this is your first it's, game, it's they may to, not be interested. They're, in they're generally looking for extremely high-quality, extremely broad-appeal stuff. Right, exactly. You may have to bootstrap your way so up to getting if, their attention. If, it may be only your third game or your yeah. fifth game or whatever that gets their attention and gets you into that. What's that? Impressions. 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 If, if Aldo is taking on new clients, which he does uh, occasionally, yeah, there's right. for small publishers. And, and uh, they may take it. They you know certainly have a uh, a history of bringing on tiny companies. Yes. I think I think Aldo is probably more tiny company friendly than yes, CSI yes. is. Right. Studio um, two also takes Studio yeah. two, right? Yeah. Exactly. There's, there are several out there. I mean, once you're ready to do this, you know, you can you, you can research these. Yeah, if, you know, if, if, you, if you can take a look at your product and say, okay, is this like is this of the same quality of the stuff that I'm seeing on the shelf at Barnes and Noble or, or Spencer's or Target? And you know, this is this stands up right there with the rest of them. Yeah, call PSI. Sure. Show, show or, you know, to take your product out to the Gamma Trade Show and talk to everybody in one room. Talk to everybody, yeah. That, at least that way you'll, you know, pay PS- your membership to... PSI to, to takes to an Gamma. entire row in the Gamma Trade Show. There's right. some 20-odd exactly. companies it's, that work It'll be totally worth them. your time to spend a week in Vegas walking around the room because you'll hit every one of them. Every, you know, distributor, every fulfillment house, everybody of any note to getting there will be in one very large room to, you know, wander around and talk to. And at the very least... You'll learn a hell of a lot about how things work, and you know you will get ten to fifteen, possibly varying, possibly all the same opinions of your product and what you should do and what they think they can sell of it. We got a minute left. Two more questions, real quick, right up in the front. Um, not sure if you heard of it, uh, Breaking Games. Have you heard mm-hmm. anything about that? Um, I'm only vaguely familiar with it. I know they publish and then they work in distribution. Breaking Games is uh, at Magic. Okay. It's the game company that was started by the people who printed Cards, Cards Against Humanity, Humanity. Yeah. who saw all that money go by and said, holy crap, we want to be in the games business too. So, they're, they're, like so they're making their own line of games. So they are taking in, yeah, they, they would be a publisher yes. effectively for you. And, and many distributors are actually starting to publish as right. well. So you can, the, company, now, the company that I used to work for have got like publishing arms now. Yeah, Breaking yeah. Games structures it so that they are actually kind of like the, over, the umbrella over a bunch of smaller publishing companies, right? Yeah. So you might be... They might, you know, basically effectively buy your company, you know, and like bring you in on that as opposed to buying your game. There's the possibility that that's a that that's a thing that you can negotiate with them. That is not the case for a lot of others. That's the one thing that's really different about them. And the last question in the back. I just wanted to make a comment. I spoke with a representative who promised me he could get my games into Target, into Barnes and Noble, whatever he could get it into. But I made a small limited run, being an independent, and he said I'd have to make at least twenty thousand games. And to, yep. be prepared for returns. Yep. Oh, yes. Absolutely. Yeah. Mass, mass market is returnable. Mass market is returnable. Yes, it is. Yep. Yep. So if you try you know, to get into the bigger stores, you could be 
dis- discount structures and match I, market. I love it, all it, of you it, out here. I encourage yeah. all of you out here. That's not your problem yet. Yeah. You, 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 you're a couple of steps away from that being your concern. Concentrate on what's actually directly in front of you now for stuff. I mean, yes, have an idea where you want to be. Plan for that. Be aware that's where you're going. But you've got nobody here is leaving this room and going out and selling stuff in the target. That's just not happening. All right. Well, thank so you very much. Jeff, we we, we are out of time. Anyway, so. Thank you so much for coming. I hope you guys got something out of that. If you have any questions at all, you can talk to, to myself or Darren or even Jason with the Wonders. Where, where were you left? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, uh, at ADV Game Store.